Romans chapter number 15, we have one verse to cover, and then we're on to Romans chapter 16. So if you're open your Bibles and join me there, and uh, excited about getting into this last chapter, I think it'll move rather quickly, even though it might not tonight, but as we get going here, I think it will. And uh, if you need an outline, we certainly love for you to have one. Brother Cliff's going to make his way down the middle aisle here, and if you need one, we'd love to get that in your hands. And so you can follow along as we go through. Very simple outline. We'll finish up the one that we started a few weeks back, and then we'll get into this uh, one for this evening. Uh, as he makes his way to the back, just kind of get his attention, and uh, we'll get going here. All right, we've been looking at verses 30 through 33. If you remember here in Romans chapter number 15, we saw uh, Paul use one of his favorite phrases. You remember that? I beseech you. He uses that uh, as a point of strong emphasis or uh, telling us he feels strongly about it. And in this case, it's about striving together. And then he applies it obviously to prayer. And for these things here, he gives us two reasons. And this is just by way of a quick, very quick review. In verse number 30, he says, here's your two reasons. Here's the motive. Here's the, the gumption behind what you do. It's first of all for the cause of the name of Christ. And secondly, for the love of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he says, listen, that should empower and move you and I to pray for these things. Pray for the ministry, the kingdom of Christ, and to do that. And what we are to pray, and then we ought to have action. Here's the action in that prayer. What we pray for, we strive in prayer. Remember, that was the terminology to struggle in prayer, to join the fight in that sense is what Paul's saying in that verse, a great terminology there, kind of like a wrestler getting prepared and putting forth the effort in a wrestling match. We ought to do that in prayer, one for another. Then secondly, this being secure in person, he, he encouraged them to pray literally for his physical safety, specifically from the unsaved, that they wouldn't derail his efforts. And, and I don't know about you, but boy, I just enjoyed when we studied this last and how we got to see this play out in Acts. And, and boy, the Lord answered these prayers that he mentions to them to pray. And it's really neat to see because sometimes um, we, we, we forget, boy, God really answers prayer, and specifically, and in ways that we ask. And so Paul asked these things, and we got to see them recorded for us, how they came to be answered by the Lord. And that's just exciting to me. In verse 31, and where we saw the, the secure person, verse 31, the second part, he alludes to his service to people. He says, when I go to Jerusalem, pray that they would receive me. And that their sir, his service to them. And literally, what was he praying for? We mentioned this last time, a softening of hearts, that, that they would be open and received. As I think about different ministries, even, even as I preach, uh, pray for the softening of hearts. I think of our prison ministry when we go there and we think of the mission field. Boy, you pray for the softening of hearts, that our ministry, our service would be accepted by those to whom we are trying to serve and minister to. And so crucial, Paul encourages them to do that. And then the third directive was that his steps be prospered. And we see that here uh, in verse 32. He requests the Lord just bless him according to God's will. We always love how Paul qualifies it in that sense. But according to God's will, that they would just pray that the Lord would guide and direct, bless his steps as he attempts to come to Rome, and they can fellowship. We, uh, it was a joy to see that. Now, verse number 33. Very simple verse. Can't be much to it, right? Because there's not too many uh, 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 words to it. He says this. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Now, the God of peace be with you. And I love what Paul is conveying here. It is literally a, a spirit of peace. And, and he's commending that. I mean, he, this is how he finishes the letter. We've said already, Romans chapter 16, kind of like a postscript, P.S. And so he's really bringing the main portion of the letter to a close, if we can describe it as this. What is this? 
Well, before he's saying, you pray for me in these things, here's my prayer for you. This is my prayer for you, his prayer for them. He's fervently asking God on their behalf that what? Now note this, okay? Follow the logic that I believe Paul puts forth, not only in this verse, but in uh, certainly many of his other letters. It's that God's presence would be evident in their midst, okay? He wants them to enjoy the presence of God. Much like we pray, God, make, make your presence evident as we gather together around your word, as we sing, may, may your presence be evident. May we, may we sense your presence and may we come into your presence. He wanted that, and he said, now listen, I want that manifested in your life in the peace that only God brings. Now, key point here that Paul makes, not only in this, uh, this letter, this book, but also in other letters that he writes. You see, why does Satan work so hard, and certainly he's diligently doing it even today, why does Satan work ho- so hard to steal uh, the peace and unity, the striving together of every church? Why does he work so hard to steal an individual believer's peace? Well, why does Satan want to rip that away from us? Because may I just simply put it this way? Because that peace is one of the the ways that the presence of God is manifested in the church and in an individual's life. When you and I experience peace, and, and how does the Bible describe it? A perfect peace, a peace that passes all understanding regardless of what we face. May I just tell you, you get to get a little taste of the presence of God. He's walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He's going through the storm with us. It's, it, it, it's that peace be still. It's that calming of the storm in our lives. Why? Because Christ is there. You know, when the disciples left off realizing they had the very Son of God with them, boy, they feared that storm, didn't they? They had no peace. But the moment God reestablished Jesus Christ, reestablished in their minds and understanding of who he was, boy, they had perfect calm, didn't they? See, the presence of Christ, that, that's a big deal. And that's where peace, man, his presence is manifested in peace. I love it because, you know what, we pray for people going through a hard time, difficult time, maybe a funeral, a loss of a loved one. We just, you know, we, we're praying God's peace for them. You know what I love hearing from them afterwards, what some of them say, and maybe you and I have said it before as we've gone through. Boy, I could, I, boy, I, I had peace throughout it. I don't know why. I could just sense the Lord was with me. Isn't it amazing how peace and the Lord go together? Certainly, he's, as as we saw on Sunday, he is called the Prince of Peace. And so it is. One of the ways that God's presence is manifested in our lives is peace. Now, you you and I individually, we can go through a difficult day, and boy, things can upset us, and and boy, we can be in turmoil. Isn't it great to then go into our Bible study or go into prayer time and allow God's peace because we enter into his presence just kind of calm us? Take those pressures and takes all that worry and all the things causing fear and everything else to just uh, dissipate. I I think Paul understood this truth as much as anybody. Certainly, he speaks of it and he writes it. Why? Because you remember Paul, whether he was in the church with a group of believers, or if he was in the middle of a mob that hated him and hated God, or even if he was clinging to a piece of wood in a vast sea, or if he's in a prison in Rome, can I just tell you, Paul knew peace. Paul understood peace. Why? 
Because Paul visioned himself like those three young men in the furnace, that no matter what kind of fire I go through, Jesus Christ is with me. He's with me. And if I have his presence, then I have peace. Oh, so crucial for you and I to enjoy the presence of God because one of the ways it's manifested is through peace. And here's a great truth. What did Paul learn? Paul had learned that one thing nothing can take from you as a child of God uh, is your peace, is your peace. One thing that, that nothing can take from you as a child of God is your peace. Can I just encourage you, and let me go back here a second, uh, do not let this world or our adversary steal your peace. Fight it. Hold on to it. Maintain it as you enjoy the presence of God. That's where certainly Paul understood this. Nothing. There's one thing that nothing can take. As a child of God, it's your peace. Now here's reality. So don't let it. So don't let it. Okay. Don't give it away. Don't offer it up because, boy, I'm just going to allow room and fear and room for worry, room for this, room for that, and just kind of hand over your peace. My friend, our God is on the throne, and that gives peace. I can enter into his presence in prayer. I can enter into his presence through Bible study. Uh, Boy, and his presence produces peace. So don't give it away. You say, what's the easiest way to give it away? Stay out of the presence of God. I'm telling you, I I fear there's a bunch of Christians around the world or in our nation that are more in the presence of their television than they're in of God. You know what that produces? Not peace. Worry? Fear? Am I not correct? I mean, are we not seeing this play out? Or do we not struggle ourselves? Are there not times that we have to put down our phone and all the news articles? I'm done with that. Let me get my Bible. Let me get into the, the presence of God. Let me experience that and enjoy that so it produces the peace. Paul understood that. It's what he wanted for every believer there in Rome and certainly every believer of every age as he writes here. He was praying fervently as he says, man, man I want the God of peace to be your constant companion. I want you to be in his presence diligently. May he, what does he say? Be with you. Be with you. Because when God is with you, guess what? Peace is present. When the presence of God is, you're there, then peace is present with you. Great truth. And I love Paul. He intricately puts that in each of his letters, and he describes it in such a way it's a, it's a good challenge, right? So that ends up Romans chapter 15. I'm sorry. I wish we could have gone, gotten to that on December 2nd when we finish this up, but we probably would have been here till 9 or something, okay? 9.30, whatever, all right? So now we jump ahead to Romans chapter 16. Very interesting chapter, huh? It's that last chapter, that P.S. as we kind of um, described it. It contains all the final greetings of Paul with some exhortation mixed in, as we'll see. Some, no doubt, compare this chapter in the New Testament to some of the the chapters in the Old Testament that are the genealogies. 
Okay, you remember those? And uh, you ever been on those, one of those years you're reading through the Bible and you've come to those chapters and, and uh, you see it as necessary reading to get through so you can say you read the whole book, unfortunately, right? And uh, some of those names, in fact, we get into it, we might consider it boring, it, it's uh, of little interest, a bunch of names I don't know and I can't even pronounce, all right? And that's sometimes how we look at it. I understand that there are difficult names. But here's reality. If we may look at it this way, there, this chapter is actually rather unique And I think it's one of the more fascinating ones in the New Testament. I'll share with you a little bit about that tonight, why I think it is. Why I look at this chapter like, this is a pretty neat chapter. It gives us a glimpse that we don't get elsewhere. We'll talk about that. If you were to just quickly glimpse at it, you'll notice it. And let me just back up. Let me just say this. Here's one of the things that I think is pretty unique about it. We get a glimpse. We get to look through the window into the social circles of Paul. We get a little window into some of the churches that he, he rubbed shoulders with and that he kind of visited and some he started. And, and the people in his day, we, we get a glimpse of the people in his entourage, those who sometimes traveled with him, those who ministered to him, maybe for a few days, maybe some of the people who housed him in their own home and things like that. We get a unique perspective of the missionary and his social circles. I, I think that's tremendous. What's amazing in this chapter is there's 33 names listed. 33 names. Of that, of those 24 people that are mentioned by name, uh, 24 of them, excuse me, of those 33, 24 of them uh, are citizens of Rome, possibly likely part of the church there. Nine were from Corinth and the area around it where Paul was sending his greetings from. And then there's two unnamed women and there's a numerous unnamed men who are unspecified in this. There's a couple houses referencing, of course, and things like that. What's interesting, too, is we read Romans. If someone were to just to take maybe chapters 1 through 15 of Romans, and maybe even some of his other letters, especially Galatians and some like that, you might look at Paul and read him and say, man, this guy is a professor type. <laughs> this is the kind of guy that, man, he, is, he knows a lot. He's very intellectual. He, he has things down. And, in fact, we might even say being that professor type, because of all that he knew, he might be like some professors that some of us have known. They like books more than they like people. Uh, they, they just, that, that's what they're into. In fact, maybe we might even assume that he was a chip off the block of some of the religious leaders in that day who were very intelligent. They knew the law, they knew everything, but they had little time for people. Well, what's neat about this chapter, it reveals that Paul is totally different than that. I mean, Paul goes down these lists and he shows, now listen, he shows that a person can be both interested in doctrine, chapters 1 through 15, and also interested in the people to whom the doctrine is given. Paul shows a personal side here that's just tremendous. Greet that person. Hey, these people greet you. And man, he is like, he is the social connector. What would Paul have been like on Facebook? Okay, let's not go there. But, I mean, you think about it. Boy, he's connecting churches and so forth. and so. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And we get a glimpse into it. And I think what's amazing about this, you are impressed when you read the chapter, and I trust you will be, that Paul cared about people. He cared about people almost as much as even Christ did when he walked the earth. And what's also of importance is note it. Where does he put this at? Well, he puts it at the end of a letter. And what does that tell us? You know who Paul intended the audience of this letter to be? Common people. Everyday Christians. 
this letter, and we, we get through it and we talk about the technical th- uh, side of it. We talk about how it is written very much from a lawyer standpoint. And we can start to think, well, this is just written to scholars and, and uh, theologians. No, 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 no. Paul is writing to uh, the guy who works on tents, the guy who's a fisherman, the guy in Rome who does, works in, uh, with merchants, and he, he's, some are servants and so forth. Paul is writing this. They are his audience, all these folks that he cared about. Why is that so crucial? Because he's writing to them to equip them, don't miss it, with doctrinal fortitude. A solid anchor and base and knowledge. And then understanding that doctrine, being fortified in doctrine, they, he certainly has expressed these last few chapters that it ought to motivate each one of us to go out and serve God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul has done an admirable job putting this all together. If we were going to put it simply, I would say Romans chapter 16 is the intersection of the spiritual and the physical. We see a little bit and get a glimpse of the human side of Paul, the human element. Because listen, Paul just didn't get up and speak. Paul just didn't speak truth and then he left out a back door. No, Paul cared about people. He invested he loved people. And it comes through in these kinds of chapters. You read through, it's like, man, Paul, what were you, afraid you're going to leave somebody out? <laughs> all these greetings and all these references to folks. I mean, he just cared. He prayed for them. He cared about them. He loved them. It's an interesting thing. Let's meet one of them, shall we? Look at verse 1 and 2, shall we? Let's read that, Romans chapter 16. He says this, I commend unto you Phoebe, or Phoebe, I like to pronounce it Phoebe, it may be Phoebe, you can pronounce it however you want. Our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is uh, at Sincrea, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of, of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Now, it's interesting, Phoebe or Phoebe is only mentioned here. We don't know much about her other than what's contained in these couple verses. And yet, I think we can get, get, glean a lot from it. And the outline there will show you, we'll just make a quick understanding of who this lady was that Paul mentions first and mentions, uh, very importantly, in two verses dealing with her. Okay? There's some things that we can draw out, descriptions that Paul gives us. We can make a lot of assumptions. We can read into things a lot. I, I don't want to do that a lot. I read a lot of commentators that read into quite a bit. I, I'm not going to do that. I, let's just pull out what Paul said. Number one, this is what Paul identifies. Number one, she was saved. Okay? She, he calls her a sister in verse 1 there. Why is that a big deal? I think it's a big deal because her name has pagan origins, okay? Her name's interesting. It's actually a feminine version of one of the names given to the false god Apollo, a false idol. So there is something to her background, and here's the key. Paul commends her because she's saved. She's been born again. Christ is in her life, and she has produced obvious fruit from the regeneration that takes place only through Jesus Christ. Doesn't it make you wonder what was her background like? She probably grew up, she was probably, she, maybe she was uh, in a sense, uh, obviously I know they don't have buses back then. She's like a bus kid. She's like somebody who just, somewhere, maybe in her, in her 20s she got introduced to the Lord. We don't know anything. That's just uh, hypothetical. We don't know anything about her background. But I'll tell you, just from her, the derivation of her name, we probably could assume she didn't grow up in a Christian home. Pagan name and, 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 son, and praise be unto God, she's gloriously saved. Why? Because Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save those which are lost. It's his purpose for the manger. (laughs) And here she is, 
I don't know her background. I don't know her from Adam's house house cat, but I know this. God did a wonderful work in her life. And maybe Paul witnessed to her. Maybe she's just somebody that Paul came across. I I don't know. We could go on and on. Boy, the exciting to find out the backstory, won't it be? Or as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story when we get to heaven. Be neat to hear that, won't it? Just to find out what, you know, how she came to know Christ. But praise be unto God, he recommends her as one who was saved. She became a, a, a Christian, and she was certainly noteworthy. Number two, what does he say about her? Uh, she, uh, he says she's a servant. And I like this. In verse number one, he says, man, she is a servant of the church. She came from that little town of Sincrea. It was a, a small town right outside, kind of uh, goes right into Corinth, okay? We think of Detroit and all the little towns around it that just kind of meld together with it, and uh, that's the idea. In fact, it was a small little seaport town. Some have said it's one of the major seaports getting to Corinth, and uh, so that's the little town that she comes from, and, and Paul says what? Well, she's a member there, and not only is she a member, but she's very active, Paul calls her a servant of the church. That's high praise from Paul. That's not something Paul would throw out loosely or, or just let slip. No, no, she, she's a servant of the church. Now, I will throw out one hypothetical there. Some people believe because he mentions her first and the way that he presents her, some believe that she may have carried Paul's letter. I don't think we know 100% sure. I think it kind of points to that direction, but we're not going to fight over that. That's not a hill I die on, okay? And, uh, but it's a good possibility. She was the one that carried the, the letter for Paul uh, for whatever reason. Maybe she was there on business. Maybe she was moving to Rome. Uh, maybe she was visiting family or for another reason she was there and so it's possible or maybe it was the sole reason for her trip to deliver that letter we we really don't know if that's the case but what is noteworthy i want you to notice what he says about the testimony and character that he highlights and commends she is a servant within the local church i like how he puts it she's ser- she's a servant to the church which is at sincrea she serves it. She's, a, she's known. That's her testimony in the church. She just serves. She just works. And she serves. Um, it, it's, it, it's her understanding and this great accolade. Um, it's certainly something that all of us who are saved can emulate. She's, okay, I'm saved. Now God has called me to get in the local church, to get to work, to serve the local assembly of my Lord. And Phoebe grasped that. She got involved. Um, one has rightly made this statement and observation. The world measures greatness by the service one receives. In God's eyes, greatness consists not in the number of people who serve us, but in the number of people we serve. I think there's some validity to that. God has called us to serve. The world is just does not measure it. In fact, God turns that on its head and says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So my youngest children like to say that often, Amen. But it's biblical. And, and God says, listen, you've got to humble yourself. And, and that's really the point here. Here she is, and I think maybe that's why. I sometimes think, was Phoebe one of those quiet people in the church who just didn't talk too much? But Paul noticed, and she works hard behind the scenes. And she serves. Uh, no complaints, no criticism. She just serves. She gets it done. And, and it, it reminds me. The Bible says that Christ took on the form of a what? Servant. And then it goes on, he humbled himself. How did he humble himself? To the obedience of the cross. See, it's amazing that we are to, we are to exalt Christ for being a what? A servant, as we ought to. 
And yet here's Paul doing the same thing with Phoebe because she's just a servant. She's willing to serve. So that begs the question, if someone asks you, where do you serve in your local church? How would you respond? So I want to ask you, where do you serve? Where do you serve? Now, we could also say it this way. Paul's writing here, he was certainly a leader in one way or the other in the local churches that he helped plan, that he visited, and so forth. And he's the one writing this letter. So let's put it in this way, put it in terms of this. What if someone came and asked me tonight and said, hey, so-and-so over there, where do they serve in the church? Where's their place of service? Where do they, where they like Phoebe and they get at it, man? They just, they just serve. Would it be easy? Would I be able to quickly say, oh, yeah, they serve here. Boy, they're serving the Lord in this capacity and they've stepped up here. Would it be easy on me to say that? Because that's what Paul commends Phoebe for. She's a servant. She serves the church. He commends her to Rome for that aspect, that character trait. Can I tell you, it'd be good for us, and I think you say, what do we take away from a message like this? Well, it ought to challenge us to take a moment and evaluate our service to the church. Am I fulfilling the call of God in my life in that area? It goes on to describe her. She was not only a servant, she was saved, she was a servant. You know, I, I like this one. He writes in verse number two, she was a sucker. Old English word, and I like it. And a sucker. What is a sucker? Well, the actual term means this he or she that affords relief, a helper, a deliverer. It comes from the root word sucker, and that's one we find a little bit more often in the scriptures here. And, and sucker literally, you see the definition. I, I like the first part of this to run to or run to support. Hence, to help or relieve when in difficulty, want or distress, to assist and deliver. Man, it's a great statement, isn't it? I love the, the picture. Man, they run to it. So she serves, but she's also a sucker. Man, she sees a need, she, she sees somebody hurting, and she's there. As we would like to say in America, Johnny on the spot. All over it. That's who she is. And Paul commends her for that. He says, listen, she is a huge helper. She has been an aid to me. And I just picture many times over that Paul said multiple times, boy, she came and met my need. She was a helper. She was a great aid to me in many ways. And then he goes on and says what? Many others. Many others. This is her testimony that Paul speaks of her. And I, I think it's a pretty, uh, a pretty neat one. Uh, a pretty great one that he gives about her. See, not only was she a servant in the church, but she also kept an eye to the needs of others. Noting that when others needed help, she ran to give aid. Oh, that's exciting. I'm thankful that we have some of those church members here at FBC. Uh, they see needs, they run to give aid, they look for areas to help fellow believers, and go quickly to assist. I'm grateful for that. You see, as members of the local assembly, this is an assignment for all of us. It's a part of the togetherness of the church. Having, being together, striving together, as even Paul said in Romans 15, it's part of that. So it begs the question, where have you and I helped others in the church this past month? How have we suckered? How, how have we come to the aid of another? Have we done so quickly? 
Again, a periodic evaluation of these things is good and productive. I, I find some things that happen in the business world to be a good example for us. I know many businesses uh, at six months or 12 months, they'll do an evaluation, an employee evaluation. They'll, they'll sit you down and call you into the room and they'll say, okay, these are the things you're doing well or these are the things expected of you. These are the things you're doing well. These are the things you need to work on. And uh, they kind of go over your job responsibilities and things like that, maybe raising there and so forth. But they just reevaluate. Here's what we need to see you doing a better job with this. We need to see you do this. And I remember working in a grocery store and we had those reviews and, and they would happen. And they you got to work on this. You're doing a great job of this and so forth. What if God did that? What if God on a weekly, monthly, uh, three months basis called you and I in and said, hey, let's talk a little bit. Where would he say we are, especially in these areas? And I say, well, I'm sure I'm glad God doesn't do that. Well, I hate to break it to you. God does it to it, but he does it a different way. You see, you and I are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And as we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, every time we hear a message, every time we open God's Word, every time we hear a word of exhortation from a fellow believer, boy, I see those as great tools. The Holy Spirit says, okay, let's take inventory. Let's see how we're doing in this area. Let's see how we're matching up to the very pattern of God's Word. Let's just see how you and I, being indwelt by uh, the Holy Spirit as, as a child of God, how we doing? Because these are the expectations of your God, your Lord in heaven. So how we doing? Every time, including tonight, when we read of a lady named Phoebe, you say, well, oh, maybe she was single and she was retired and she had all the time in the world. Well, wait a minute. That sure is making excuses and saying, instead of saying, how am I doing? Where's my service? Where's my area of serving the church? Where's my area of suckering people in the church? Who have I helped recently? Who am I reaching out to? It ought to spur us to evaluate where we are and how we are doing as believers. Let's allow the, the Lord to do that tonight. We see three descriptions of Phoebe, and just when you thought I couldn't get any more out of it, let's see, uh, three response, okay? Actions of response. We won't spend nearly as much time, but notice that letter D is very obvious. Verse one, Paul commended her to them. He encourages the believers there at Rome to, uh, um, uh, it's, it, well, it's an insignificant statement, apparently, when we read it on the service. But reality is, he is putting weight behind her. He's encouraging them because she, uh, to embrace her, to, to accept her, to, uh, to, to understand that she's um, from uh, him, in a sense, and that uh, he knows her character. She's tried and true. In that day, it was a normal practice for folks to carry a letter of commendation from one church to another. Why? Because when you enter a, a different city, a strange city, it's nice to have a friendly reception. It's nice to be able to go to the church and say, oh, uh, you know, Brother Paul, it's sometimes nice, isn't it? And we had a couple here on uh, Sunday morning who have been here before, and uh, it, it's neat when you know somebody, right? They, they've come before. Um, uh, they know Brother Scott Yerison, who's traveled in his truck and everything else. He's popped in their church before, and so they've came up this area, New Scott. It's nice to know somebody in a church, isn't it? It's nice to have a reference, a, a contact point. And so you can think the same thing, because I remember meeting this couple, and they said, oh yeah, Scott Yerson invited us wherever up this way. And so there's a point of con Same idea. You have, a, you have a letter of commendation. Here it is. Oh look, P Brother Paul says this lady is, is from Sincrea. She's a servant in the church, and so forth and such. That's something they would normally do. It also helps a church, especially in a church place like Rome, to know where the believers are coming from, you know? Uh, every Tom, Dick, and Harry can walk in and say, I'm a believer, and you might be a little 
skeptical. And uh, that letter of commendation certainly would help, and he encourages her. And we notice from Paul's perspective, he did not hesitate to encourage them to take her in as a trusted sister in Christ. Here's his commendation, his recommendation, if we might describe it in our modern terms. Then letter E, the the second responsive action, he says this, I I want you to receive her. You see that at the beginning of verse 2, that you receive her. You receive her. He encourages them, obviously, now to embrace her as a fellow believer. She's part of the family of God. She's part of the family. She's a fellow servant. I like how he uh, even kind of words it in here, in the Lord. She's a fellow servant of the same Lord, our Lord that we have in common, and uh, she's a fellow servant. And, and, And I want you to receive her, now don't miss this, in a way that is becoming of all saints. That's what he says, verse number two, as becometh saints. So we, we, we want to know the context of what, that. Well, we know it well. Jesus Christ himself gave us the context of how we are to embrace, how we are to receive fellow believers. In John chapter 13, verse 35, he said what? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, by your love one for another. So if we could just put it very simple, uh, simplistically, what's Paul saying? He's saying this, um, love her like a sister in Christ, like part of the family of God, receive her, love her, embrace her, and receive her. Love her, embrace her, receive her. She's part of the family of God, in the Lord. She's of the Lord, she's of the family, and she's a servant of the Lord. Embrace her as such. And then letter F says this. Yeah, you, you, you assist her, okay? I commend her, you receive her, you assist her now. You, you, you help her in that sense, we may put it that way. In fact, what is he literally saying? Because Paul would all, <laughs> they've already expressed their desire to help Paul. Paul's basically saying, boy, treat her like you would treat me. Treat her like you would treat me. And if I asked of help of you, you'd give it. So I want you to treat her like you would treat me. Help her in any way that she might need. And we don't know what this is. We don't know if he's talking about ministry-wise. We don't know if it's business. Uh, she, maybe she's there on business. Maybe it's just basic necessities. And she's moving to that area. And, and hey, provide for her. Help her in any way you can. We don't know. It was very much a blanket statement. And uh, it's basically just be there for her in whatever way she needs. And, and do you see why one of the impetus? She goes, he says, as she has been there for many. So be there for her. Verse number two, she hath needed for her, for she hath been a sucker of many and of myself also. Oh, man, you reap what you sow. So, so Paul's saying, hey, man, this is a lady who helps others. So if she's in help, you help her. And, and man, he, here's what I, I gather from it, and I think it's important for us to note tonight, that, that sometimes uh, even the helper needs help. Even the helper needs help at times, and some way, sometimes the servant needs to be served. See, sometimes the helper needs help, and sometimes the servant needs to be served. And I like how Paul puts this into context here because sometimes a helper can feel like no one appreciates me. I help everybody else. No one helps me. And Paul's saying, I want you to help her. Sometimes a servant says, man, I serve everybody, but nobody serves me. And, you know, Paul's saying, serve her. Serve the, uh, sometimes the servant needs to be served. And you say, why would Paul write that? Why would Paul say, man, I need to commend her, I need to tell you to receive her, and, and uh, I, need to, I need you to assist her? Now, you got to wonder, why in the world, is this a backward church? 
This is a church that wouldn't do that normally? Why, why is he writing this thing? Well, let's be honest. It would have been easy for the church folks there to be distrusting of her. You come from where? Sancria? Corinth? Is that next to Kentucky? No, just kidding. Uh, why, why would we embrace you? I mean, there could be many reasons why they would kind of be standoffish, distrust her. Uh, they might just, because she's different, they didn't know her, kind of not, not treat her kindly. Maybe they were kind, but not overly friendly. Or, now I think this is certainly what Paul would have known based upon all the other things he writes in his letters. Or they could have fallen prey to their own flesh as we often do. And instead of encouraging and helping the servant and helper, we sit back and we critique how they serve, how they help. We second-guess them and what they have chosen to do or how they've chosen to do it or who they have chosen to help. Or we speculate about their motive and their intentions and why they are really doing it. Paul didn't want any of that to happen with Phoebe. He didn't want those people to sit in the back corner of the church and say, why is she here? Why is she going? She's just probably looking for a handout. She's probably, you know, she wants to pray. She wants, wait, they just sit back and we can critique the helper or the servant. There's somebody who says, oh, I see a need. I'm going to help. I, uh, someone needs to be served. I'm going to go serve and just kind of do that and sit back and criticize. Paul didn't want that to happen. So he encourages them to accept his recommendation of her to receive her as a precious fellow believer and then to assist her in all her endeavors while they're in Rome. So crucial. Do you ever sit back and you see somebody helping somebody else, and boy, instead of encouragement or helping the helper, you, you critique. You kind of tear it down. You kind of minimize it. You kind of tear it apart and tear them apart. Or, or you step back and you second guess why they are doing it. You second guess why did they pick that person? Why they're doing that? And, and man, that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying step up and help the helper. Step up and serve the servant. We could put in a very basic, simple, practical response as we bring this message to a close. We, we put this as a, as a takeaway. See, um, make up our minds that when I see someone serving or hear of someone helping a fellow believer, I should first assist them by praying for them. See, if anything Paul emphasizes in the end of chapter 15, heading into chapter 16, is pray. And one of the best ways you and I can help the helper and serve the, uh, serve the servant is to pray for them. God, give them strength. God, get them, meet their need. God, give them grace. God, uh, give them encouragement instead of discouragement. Pray for them. And I would just especially encourage this. If you see somebody helping, if you see somebody serving somebody else, and, and you catch yourself being critical, judgmental, second-guessing them, could I just encourage you to talk to yourself? It helps a lot. I do it a lot. Just tell yourself this. I need to shut my mouth and instead open my heart in prayer. I need to stop being critical. I need to just stop second-guessing. I need to stop being judgmental. And instead of running my mouth, I need to just stop and open my heart in prayer for that helper, that person serving. Encourage them that way. So I just encourage you tonight as we end this first little glimpse into Romans 16, I encourage you on two lines. Make sure that, number one, you are serving and suckering. That means helping. Make sure you're like Phoebe. 
Make sure if, boy, someone comes and asks someone else, they ask the preacher, hey, does so-and-so serve? Oh, yeah, they're, they're serving the church in this way. I could write a letter like Paul did about Phoebe. I could write it like you. And Oh, yeah, they're serving this way. And Boy, they're, they're a huge help to the ministry and a huge help to the people of the church. Man, I'd love to be able to write that about every member. Amen? I think we ought to shoot for that. That we could write that about each and every person. And then secondly, could I just encourage you? Look for ways to help the helper and serve the servant. Other people that may be in a position to help, may be in a spot or that, that, to serve, but you aren't, man, encourage them. We're talking about deacon nominations here in a second. You may not be able to serve as deacon, but you sure can serve the servant. You can encourage a deacon. Listen, this has been a rough year, not only on pastors, but on deacons too. You can encourage them. Our Sunday school teachers, others, many who serve in different ways. Ooh, nursery workers, they deserve it. You know, serve them. Look for ways. You may not be able to do it. Just help the helper and serve the servant. I, I think Paul puts forth a great blueprint for you and I as believers of how to find our place, serve, succor, and encourage the local church. I'm thankful that Paul notes people like this. Because it's a challenge and it's an encouragement to each of us.